here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I think I told you, yeah, I didn't tell you what I was doing that delayed me. I was ready to get on, but then suddenly I get this deafening bang, 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 knock at my door. And I'm in full girl mode right now, so before I could answer, I had to do a Mrs. Doubtfire quick change into normal people clothes. And I answer the door, and it's my grandfather holding his cell phone out in front of him. And I'm like, okay, Joel, is everything okay? (laughs) Did you get a phone call that troubled you or something? Turns out it's worse. Today, a strange woman has started texting him, demanding he speak with her, and threatening to kick his girlfriend's ass. Uh, My grandfather recently changed phone numbers. (laughs) Uh. So he's some new phone who dis going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the start of the Strangers 3. <laughs> and my grandfather is like 80. <laughs> and he just shows me the string of text messages that are, hey, 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 what the fuck wrong with you? Oh, because you got a girlfriend now? You too bougie to hang out with me? Motherfucker, you better text me back. <laughs> and like a couple of other texts like that. And I go to reply with something smart, like it's just a simple, this is a new phone. I have no idea what you are, but I'm not familiar. What are you, (laughs) friend or foe? (laughs) But I'm unfamiliar with like the layout of his phone. So I accidentally hit the predictive text thing, like the ones that have like the pre-written text responses so that people don't kill themselves saying, okay, thanks, bye on the road. And the text I accidentally send out is, you are mistaken, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And now your grandfather has to go to a duel at dawn by the cherrywood tree. And then I go to to replace that text with, you have the wrong phone, but I accidentally... (laughs) Type Y-U-O. I go to remove that and accidentally text it. So then I delete the thread and just say, um, yeah, she's not going to call you again. Just, just if you get any more texts, ignore it. I just want to point out Well, you tried. I love how your grandfather had to come to your home because he was too afraid of using the phone to just call you. As if it were haunted. What I love about my granddad is I know exactly what he was thinking. Well, I don't don't, don't want to say the wrong thing. This goddamn woman should come home, kick my ass. Like my my grandfather is like Matt's dad, but like plus a (laughs) hundred. Like if Matt's dad were an 80-year-old man, he, he would be my granddad. I should also point out, my granddad lives like two minutes away, so it's not like he drove an hour <laughs> to come to my house to wave technology in front of me. I wish he did. But just picture for a moment your text lady, and as far as you know, your <laughs> side guy all of a sudden started ignoring you. 
until you had to get very heated with him. He responded with, you are mistaken, sir. And 20 seconds later, yo. And then you never heard from him again. You just have to assume he's dead. Like he, his mind was melting out of his face. Like, doesn't that sound like the beginning of a film noir? Like, I feel like she's going to, like, investigate this now. She finds like, a severed becomes... ear in a cornfield. Oh, no. Brain, I need your help. Ernesto called me last night. He used words I didn't understand. <laughs> what is Yao? Cut to a kid with an Arubic, a Rubik's Cube. Like, oh, Yao is street slang for a brick of cocaine. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> I like how everything just becomes brick. So anyway, that's why I'm late to record this episode. It all worked out in the end. I don't think we're in a rush. So, uh, are we all set this time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Box Office Pulp, a podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody, and joining my universe today is a PG-13 animated musical about a toaster falling in love with a bathtub. The brave little Mike. I'm back, everybody. <laughs> Instead of saying toaster, I should have said microwave. Damn it. Oh, no, that would have been too punny, and we would have destroyed yeah. the universe. Yeah. For your first show back, we just destroy everything. We'll find out about that. Also joining me today is the fourth sequel to the horror sci-fi crossover Rumble Royale, A Nightmare on Friday the Halloween, The Final Jamie. Do you have your hall pass, Cody? Dun, dun, dun. And this would typically be the spot where I introduce our other host, MB, who, of course, by the nature of the universe, cannot be here now that we have Mike back. So you win some, you lose some. We have recast MB with Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> A very silent Mark Ruffalo. Oh, no, he's coming out to mixed reaction to the crowd. I hope he, we win him over eventually. <laughs> we'll check in with you later, Mark. You go sit over there. <laughs> By craft services. Yeah, go ahead. You can. You can I don't know why, but you calling Mark Ruffalo Mark amuses me. <laughs> I like to be informal with our guests. Uh, Nicholas Cage to me is just Nick Cage. He's a good friend. That was my only example of. Stories. Okay, then. I personally know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so if you've stood with us this long, audience, do me a favor. Just one more. I want you to close your eyes and open your mind and just imagine. Time is slipping away. We're going backwards in time. Not very far. No dinosaurs. If you see dinosaurs, you have gone too far and need to bring it back to the future. But imagine simpler days. The past. Roughly 10 years ago. 2008. The George W. Bush years are finally winding down. I imagine there's probably a shittier version of Coke than what we're currently drinking, but still not as good as original Coke. And the last Marvel movie to grace cinemas was Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. It's May. You're going to the movies. And there's Robert Downey Jr. starring in Iron Man. Which, I mean, you're from the future, so you know how this is going to turn out. And it's kind of weird that you went to the past to rewatch Iron Man when you can just watch it on DVD instead of time traveling. It's on Amazon but, Prime. Yeah, jeez. I don't know what you're doing, man. You're wasting time travel. You could be robbing a bank. But you're seeing Iron Man. And of course, you stay for the after credits because you know there's an after credit scene. You know Marvel's stick. But everyone else in the theater is having their minds blown because this is the start of something. And today, we're talking about shared universes in honor of the Marvel Universe pulling off probably the best and pretty much only cohesive shared universe out there and capping it all off with Infinity War. 
shit, I forgot to cue fireworks. Does anyone have fireworks? Uh, I have snakes and sparklers. Do they count? Go, go, go! Wow, feast your eyes on a feast of smoke. I guess now it was ten thousand dollars for that fight. Okay. Yeah, I think that'll work. That'll be a neutral. Cody, I feel like as many years into this as we are now, you should know that it's a bit gauche to end an introduction with that was a solid introduction. <laughs> I mean, I typically start my story saying this is funny, and then I say something I think is funny, which is very presumptuous. So that's just my style, bro. I would just like to see your commencement speech at Harvard. <laughs> Good speech. Good speech. You should be clapping. Yes. Yeah, I pat myself on the back and I leave okay, before I actually everybody now throw your caps in the air in honor of me. Wait, wait. What are we yes. saying? We we know it would be. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I fucked up that introduction. Hold on, hold on. The Students with that is... at Yale. God damn it. <laughs> no, no. If I'm introducing Cody's Harvard, speech, everybody. if I'm doing Harvard and I fuck it up, the sad thing is they have to throw out all those students. They don't get their degrees. They have to get new students that are fresh. <laughs> That's actually a little known fact about Ivy League <laughs> educations. It's all up to the commencement speaker. Yeah, That's, that's their actually, final test. That's why it's so impressive to have a degree from like Yarvard. Yarvard. <laughs> Yavin wow, 4, that's why it's just... so impressive no, you, to have you, a degree from Yavin 4. You, <laughs> you fucked this up so hard, now you have to go give a commencement speech at Brown. Oh. No, no, I'm just thinking he has to create Yarvard now. It's a Camp Nowhere slash accepted situation. Jamie, I'm very sad that you didn't go, not Brown. <laughs> uh there are a lot of references in the air right now. We're all trying to race toward our <laughs> It is 10 o'clock at night. We got here three hours ago. But don't worry about it. We made a production company. You'll be seeing our stuff soon. We might also have Hornswoggle. <laughs> don't count on Hornswoggle. Keep going. Right. Anyways. Have you seen what the episode universe. is yet, by the way? Or? We did. We did the whole Shared Universe okay. thing. Just, yeah. you know. Come on. It's like you weren't even paying attention to my glorious introduction. So, everyone, you, you can come back from 2008. I was telling a tale. You're I'm going to be honest. With me. There, there's, a, there's a lid for a, a storage bin here, and on the inside of it is one of those don't do this stickers, and it's a child sitting in the bin with a big X across it, like, no, <laughs> do not do this. And I kind of got lost staring at it for a little while. It's been a while since I've been on a podcast. You, you, we literally traveled to 2008. You missed the Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, like entirely, the premiere and everything. Oh, too bad. I love Doug Jones. Ah, we all do. Anyways, I, oh, oh, shit, I forgot to bring him back. Uh, audience, if you're still in 2008, uh, sitting in the theater after Iron Man, you can leave. There's only one after credit scene. You could come back now. Come back, come back to 2018. Okay, good. Oh, so, thank God. We almost had an office space situation there. Oh, boy, it was, it was going to be bad. I'd feel really bad if we left a bunch of people in. No, actually, fuck them. They're in 2008. They're in better times. It's true. Take me with you, audience. Take me back to 2008 so I can relive shared universes. There's my segue. Boom. Anyways, it's fascinating, not necessarily the success Marvel has had with shared universes, in my mind. It's just how bad everyone else is at them. <laughs> like, we've seen Universal somehow screw up a shared universe twice trying to start up the Universal Monster series with the Dark Universe and uh, Dracula Untold, both essentially angling for the same concept and both doing a terrible, terrible job. Uh, we've seen DC go, well, if Marvel's doing it, and essentially we're exactly the same as them, we should be able to, oh, nope, we've tripped over the stairs and we have broken every bone in our body. And then you have weird stuff like 
everyone's saying they're going to do a shared universe movie. The closest I can think for success is probably the Godzilla films we're currently getting, which is strange in my mind because there's no reason those have to be connected. Other than that, is, I guess that is the one really... that's going well, at least. Yeah, like the whole Monarch thing, fine. That works. Uh, we're definitely getting Godzilla versus King Kong, so their end game is in sight. I don't know what they're going to do after that. Like a series of King Kong versus Godzilla films? Uh, well, they have to bring in Mecha King Kong. What do you think the end game actually is for that shared universe? Like, I, I mean, the setup is just so they can have King Kong fight Godzilla. But what after that? Are they going to have like King Kong cross over and start fighting Mothra and other Godzilla villains while Godzilla eats people on Skull Island? Oh, it's a trading places, but for giant kaiju. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Like, where else could they be going with that? They have one versus film that they're leading up towards. I can't see the greater purpose because it's not like the characters carry over individually from film to film. I, I guess kind of it's... always assumed they were just going to King Kong versus Godzilla, and that was it. I think so. They count their money and go up. home. I guess it depends on what else Legendary gets rights to eventually. But there's not like so there's a lot that's... of other monster franchise things like Rodan and shit. They're already doing all the other Godzilla villains, essentially, in King of the Monsters. Yeah, King of so. Monsters. And yeah, I, essentially King Kong has just been one movie that's been remade like eight times. It, so their shared universe is pretty much a quadrilogy, and that's pretty much it. It's a very weird way about it, because boy, King... King Kong vs. Godzilla is just one of those films you can just do. You don't necessarily have to lead up to it. And yet it's working. That's like the one time it's actually working when they plan on just throwing away the shared universe in like three years. It, notice it works whenever it's like really just, yeah, we're just going to make these movies, put them out there, and then we'll throw them together eventually. Like the original idea for the Dark Universe that was <laughs> promptly rewritten by, Tom's, uh, by Tom Cruise. <laughs> like seriously, going back to The Mummy, it depresses me so much to look at what those writers were saying when that movie was first beginning production. Like, oh, we're not going to have like a bunch of stupid tie in stuff happen in this movie like that. That would waste everybody's time. We're just going to make a good mummy movie and then we'll make a good Bride of Frankenstein and so on. And there'll be like little things here and there. Smash cut, cut to Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> <sighs> Boy, that makes me so sad. That, that, I think that's very interesting, though. It seems that, with a very few notable exceptions, even when the intention is to avoid doing all of the stupid shared universe stuff, that stuff just finds a way of happening, like it's gravity or something. It's called <laughs> studios being really fucking impatient. Pretty much. I'm still amazed uh, that Guillermo del Toro was courted by Universal to take over the series, the, the, the franchise, the Dark Universe, and he turned them down so he could go work for Fox, so he could go make essentially the creature from the Black Lagoon, but sexier, and then go win Oscars for it. Like, how mad would you be if you were Universal and you had to watch this happen? Like, Guillermo del Toro not only told you no, but he stole your lunch and then got paid to do it and loved by everyone in the world. <laughs> Didn't Universal turn down Shape of Water? I don't believe so. As far if as I know, that was always a Fox searchlight picture. Well, that reminds me of something I was uh, saying a few weeks back after seeing Shape of Water for the second time, which is, could you imagine if the opposite had happened and Universal made the Shape of Water exactly like it is, but the name is Creature of the Black Lagoon, and that's just what their creature movie was? 
And then we get a prestige Bride of Frankenstein after that and so on. And that would have been their brand doing prestige monster movies. Holy shit. I, I would love that so much. Like, there, there's no way The Shape of Water would win an Oscar if it was The Creature from the Black Lagoon, even if it was an identical movie, I think. But, boy. Also, just imagine how mad fans would be. Like, they go into theaters to see The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and it turns out to be, like, a fantasy romance. I would love... I mean, I Sh- would... Shape of Water is pretty much, like, dead on for a Gilman story. It's pretty you don't much have to change un- anything. It's pretty much just a copyright-free sequel to the, the original movie. Yeah, plus since he has fucking powers, it's like Times Black Lagoon all over again, except good. <laughs> Boy, I just made myself sad, though, thinking about the possibilities of like a prestige monster universe instead of a, could we just make this as popcorny as possible, but not fun, like Stephen Summers' version of The Mummy? And that's the thing that gets me with the attempted Dark Universe movies. Universal, like we... We see this going back like as far as like Ang Lee's Hulk. Universal is obsessed with doing Universal monster movies, but doesn't seem to remember what any of those movies were or what they were about. So they just keep trying to make superhero movies. They should have known they were in trouble when the Stephen Summers mummy films, the first two, were pretty financially successful. They're like, I wouldn't say critically renowned, but the fans enjoyed them quite a bit. They have a very good reputation now, particularly. I think it's built over the last few years. And then he tried to do Van Helsing. So Universal could just, like, cram all their monsters together in one movie and then eventually split them out if they decide to do so later. Or keep doing, like, best of versions with Van Helsing. And that flopped. You think they would learn at some point, like, mm, boy, the fun version didn't work. The stupid version didn't work. Maybe we should change plans and stop trying to tie all these back together. Well, fuck, remember, Tom Cruise was always on Universal's radar for their shared universe back when it was the untold universe. He was going to be fucking Van Helsing in a Van Helsing movie. Yeah. All they did was God, they, you, they, they put the same fucking route when they went Dark Universe. God, could you imagine Tom Cruise as Crazy Tom as Van Helsing? <laughs> Bring me food, woman! I starve! <laughs> But, 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 but here's the thing. Remember that episode of The Simpsons where Skinner is looking for Bart when he's playing hooky? So he decides to go to the 4-H club and it's abandoned. And he thinks to himself, could I possibly be so out of touch? No, of course not. It's the children that are wrong. <laughs> That's pretty much what Universal and most of these other companies are thinking it's like no no all that stuff we did was the right thing it's the audience that was wrong it's particularly with universal where like you said they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and one of these days the audience is going to appreciate it it's like some kind of weird sickness with universal as well like it's kind of funny almost where you see them hire kurtzman on who sets up like all these rules like we're gonna do it this way we're not gonna do that we're gonna ignore that stupid shit you did blah 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 and they're like okay 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 and they're just sitting there pattering it's not happening fast enough it's not happening fast enough here's a cast photo of all the other 18 movies we have coming out over the next two years <laughs> here's an announcement for the universe before the first movie even comes out also here we rewrote we had the your uh, lead actor rewrite and direct the movie while you were asleep no jader come back 
<laughs> Javier. 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 It's like we see that with we universe like you think Warner Brothers is dumb with their impatience. And I mean Warner Brothers kind of did the same thing where they were going to rush out a Justice League movie years ago until they were like, "Oh, that's a stupid idea." After the Dark Knight came out. But obviously they never understood why they needed to not release that Justice League movie. For I mean, they reason. were only saved because of the writer's strike, weren't they? Like, that was the only reason that did not go forward. It was pretty, it was the one-two punch of the writer's strike and the Dark Knight coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, because I mean, Mortal was two weeks away from filming. Yeah, like they had the Jeez. costumes and everything. They were there yeah. almost right at the starting line. They like the cast was in Australia. The sets were were ready. The costumes were ready. They were about to go be, before cameras. They were gonna. Army tr- Hammer still thinks he's gonna be Batman one day. <laughs> they were still gonna try to push it through despite the writers' strike. And then Dark Knight came out, made all the money, and they went, "Oh, no to two Batman." <laughs> but here's the thing, which is very strange because Dark Knight Returns is essentially a tale of two Batman. <laughs> tale of two Batman. Now, that works on so many levels. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I th- I have my one good joke for the evening, and then I'm going to mispronounce Javier Bardem again. Damn you, Javier. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep the audience guessing. Is he God, that dumb, or is I, he an idiot savant? I love Beluga Javier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, that Javier bad man, he is he's something else. <laughs> but, but here's the thing about that. Like, yeah, you can throw all the tomatoes at WB for the DC movies that you want, but the fact remains, they waited until they made Man of Steel to start all their shared universe shit. <laughs> they did not put out a press release a year before Man of Steel came out with photos of Cavill and Godot and Affleck. So it's get true. Get ready for the next decade. <laughs> it, they they got one film in before they hit they hit the universal l- level. Before they hit the history eraser button. Exactly. Fucking uh, Paramount is actually going slower somehow. they they just keep hiring different writers' rooms and hoping something well, is going to work. Paramount can't afford to actually make a movie right now, so they can't screw up. <laughs> they have to sit there like, if we actually invest in this, we'll die. We are getting that ROM movie though. Yeah, somehow. Zach Penn was I, just I announced think, today as the writer. Ooh, I think with Universal, though, the reason they keep going back and making the same mistake is they were the like the granddaddy of this idea. They got it to work once with the Universal Monsters by throwing the Wolfman and Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello, and all of that in one gloomy castle. God damn it, they're going to get it again someday. They really just want it to be successful so they can so the executives can see the headlines in all of the trade magazines that the original shared universe is back but they don't have patience to actually make the movies first. Because it's something that studio heads see, like they can't seem to get through their brains. Like you cannot tell any of these people that they can't make all the money in the world this year. Like their brains have developed and all their just swimming and all that business culture to a point where they don't understand anything but instant gratification. You're speaking gibberish to them by telling them they have to wait because that's not how business works. I think you too. There's that changing climate, climate, climate. There we go. I can do words. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the original Universal Monster movies, they only went the monster rally route because they just started losing money. They're like they, 
Back in the old days, your original movie made the most cash, your sequel made slightly less, and then less and less, until like the third or fourth movie, you stop labeling as a prestige picture, you bump it off to B-movie status and production levels, and then you just kind of soak as much money out of the property as you can. So we think of a gimmick. In this case, uh, we're going to have Frankenstein meet the Wolfman. That reinvigorated the property a little bit. They made money. Just keep doing it. Add more monsters. But in today's climate, it's it's the opposite where, okay, your first movie makes $500 million. That sets the stage for your next movie uh, with Batman to make a billion dollars. And then they make a, a group movie with everybody, and that makes $1.2 billion. And just keeps going up, and it gets people interested in the other films you have available. The Marvel approach. Unfortunately, uh, this rarely works. Marvel's about the only studio that can reliably make that work, where each one of their films is going to make like $800 million plus. And I think that's really the meat of what we're trying to discuss with this episode. Like, What is magical about Marvel? What went right with them that's so difficult to replicate with other studios? Because I do feel it does go a little bit more complex than just the movies are good and they were patient. I feel oh, like there sure. really is at least one X factor there. I think because they were first in line, too, it definitely helps. The first time you see all the Avengers together, it kind of blows your mind thinking, whoa, new movies don't really do this. These are very, very different films. And yet there's all my favorite heroes together. Like Iron Man is a like a sci-fi thriller. Uh, Thor is more of a fantasy action superhero flick. Uh I guess The Incredible Hulk is just an action movie. But somehow they found a way to just stick all these guys together. And in the past, boy, when was the last time you got something like that? Maybe um, Monster Squad? But that didn't have buildup to it. It was just, hey, we put all the monsters in one of a movie. Go, go see that. Ready versus Jason. I mean, yeah, you have your versus films. And again, those aren't really built to so much. Like they have individual franchises and everyone knows like, hey, it'd be fun if we stuck these guys together for one film. Whereas with the Marvel ones, you felt like it was building up to that point and you did finally see everybody together like it was destiny. They had to meet up in one film, but no one had really tried building up in that way before where there's all that anticipation than the climax. I guess you could say in uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th movies, there were little cameos back and forth, but those never felt like they were building towards an actual confrontation. It was just a fun cameo, you know, like you see Freddy's glove in a bar somewhere or, you know, Jason's mask. Well, the idea of movies building to anything is such a very recent concept. I think one of the things Marvel did right was they treated the they treated their universe A like an actual universe. They just kind of went all these exist in the same place, so go nuts. Like used it for world building as far as telling stories goes. It wasn't um, you know, nothing like the shared universe never subtracted. It was only ever there to add when it came to the creative process. But whenever the things you saw on screen, the way they interacted with the audience was participation. Like you could either you can either watch one of the movies and ignore the shared universe aspect completely, or you can pay attention to it. You can go in on it with the film. And not just like for references, but feel like you're actually watching a corner of the universe and you feel like you're actually getting something as an audience member. You're actually participating in the story by paying attention. I mean, look how Marvel uh, changed theater going for people to, uh, to sit in for 10 minutes of credits on every movie they go to see, whether or not it's Marvel, to see if there's an after credit scene like 
Marvel was able to change how people actually take in cinema based around their shared universe, essentially. And it's not just because of the qualities of the film or anything like that. It's just how they treated the way they operated the universe from a storytelling perspective. That's something that's kind of a weird uh, double-edged sword that I've always been interested by. Because what that boils down to is Marvel respected the intelligence of its audience enough to know that they could be easily programmed. Pretty much. Like, on the one hand, that's kind of messed up. And on the other, it does really make you think, like, why? How stupid do studios actually think that audiences are? <laughs> like, audience, like, I don't remember when, whenever The Dark Knight Rises came out. The first thing everyone said, like, when the name was revealed, was people know we'll go see a Batman movie if it doesn't have Batman or the title of the last movie in it, right? <laughs> it's like nobody's ever confused when a new James Bond movie comes out. But there's this weird underestimation of the savviness of the modern moviegoer that I think Marvel re- really honed in on. Because audiences want to be savvy, especially audiences right now. Like they like it when a movie challenges that part of them. Like they will stand in the lobby of the movie theater and binge secret histories YouTube videos <laughs> to make sure they catch every goddamn Easter egg. And there is something very cold blooded and, in a certain way, exploitive about that. But it's the most benign example of exploitation I can imagine as far as art goes. And it's ultimately positive because you're fostering a relationship between the audience and the movie. And you're actually getting them to do a thing instead of just being passive and just consuming. I don't think they get enough credit for that. Yeah, you're getting them to interact with the art, which look at the big difference between Marvel and all the other shared universes that they're trying to do is you can tell there's there's that thing that's missing, and it's not... The audience comes in because the films are quality and good, and there's cool characters and blah, blah, blah. But what keeps them engaged is it, you essentially feed them something, and you feed them something intellectually. You, you let them continue the conversation past the film. And it's not like Marvel hasn't fucked up with the shared universe stuff. We've all talked about, you know, Thor's Wild Adventure and Age of Ultron. It, I mean, it's all set up for future movies. It doesn't really, it hurts Ultron from a storytelling film perspective, but it's not one of those things where the shared, where the shared universe itself is hurting the film. Where, where you look at something like, you know, the DC movies or the Dark Universe or, or things like that, where just the sheer fact there's a shared universe seems to be hurting the film and the product, not just references to there being a shared universe. Well, and what Marvel does right is, you know, notice those movies where they do drop the ball on the whole shared universe thing. Those movies don't matter. Like, Look at Iron Man 2, a movie that seems to exist solely as one long prequel short for Avengers and was widely remarked as such whenever it came out. Oh, Iron Man 2 doesn't matter. It's like whenever you hit a home run so often, so consecutively, 
you can actually let little slip ups like that happen. And it doesn't break the audience's trust because that's what Marvel has fostered in its audience. Like most profoundly is trust. Like as uh, somebody once said in regards to uh, the first after credit scene in Iron Man, uh, Nick Fury stepping out of the shadows wasn't a sequel tease. That was a promise. And Marvel, for the most part, has lived up to that promise. Like Iron Man was a contract with the audience. Like, OK, this is going to be a shared universe. It's all more or less going to gel together. We're not going to change gears halfway through. We're not going to create these weird continuity problems that break the movie for you. You can trust us. They have and, only broken that contract a handful of times. It's really impressive. Uh, I'm thinking like the, the end scene for The Incredible Hulk where they have Tony Stark, you know, meeting with Thunderbolt Ross. That kind of just got dropped later. Or, and even that got retconned officially. Right. They twice. had to retcon it later. So it's, <laughs> yeah. So it's like they do the promise and like, oh, okay, we're going to back out from that one. But we'll, we'll give you at least, we'll address it. We'll talk about the fact that we screwed that one up. Or Enos's glove, you know, where he, he has his own version of the glove. So they have to show in another movie that the one that's out there is fake. Like, they, they make some continuity problems, and they don't follow through with everything you see in the stingers, but at least they're conscious of them, and they're, they're trying to weave all this stuff together as well as they can. So, like well, you they, said, it's not just a fun little thing we threw out. Like, uh, here's one. The tease at the end of Pirates of the Caribbean 4 has no lead-in whatsoever to the <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean 5. Like, the voodoo doll that's found at the end of the movie is just a thing. It does not matter in any way whatsoever to the future films. That's a broken promise. And uh, if people still care about pirates, I'm sure they'd be very upset about that not leading anywhere. Marvel will actually follow through on most of these little teases. Thanos might take four or five movies to come around, but when he does, he will be a major player. And you can trust Marvel at this point to actually make that happen. And compare that to WB or Universal, who just keep having to say, wait, 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 just forget that last movie. This is the first entry in the series. No, right. no, forget the last movie. This is it. No, for reals this time. You right, do there, that once, you've ruined it. There's no trust for Universal after the ending of Dracula Untold being like, hey, look at this, Dracula, never mind. Uh, Let the, the mummy, games begin. Yeah, the end of the mummy is essentially, hey, Tom Cruise is a mummy man demon. He's out there for goodish evil, who knows, but he's going he's gonna to weave things to get, ignore that. <laughs> like, you don't feel like the end of any Universal movie now really truly leads into the next one. So why should you care? Why why should you be excited for a part two? Because it's probably going to be totally divorced from the concept they set you up in the first movie. It's just so broken at this point. And the big thing with, I think, with Warner Brothers and Universal and pretty much, I mean, the, the Hasbro extended universe has not, uh, has not come out yet, but I feel like it's well, it going to go like the same doing, way. Yeah, it sounds like they're going to do the Bumblebee spinoff and then just reboot Transformers. Which makes so much sense. Because Michael Bay is quitting. It does, um, but it's it's weird because it's been around for so long. They've talked about so many things they want to spin off on to just do one spin off and then wrap the whole thing up is such a weird move. How do you get invested in Bumblebee if you know it's going to be a one off? And in a normal movie universe, that's fine, you know, because each movie is its own independent feature. But in a shared universe, these are episodes. And if you know the show is canceled <laughs> before the renewal for season three, eh, it makes it hard to hang on for the finale. Exactly. That's the thing the other studios seem to be missing that Marvel understands. Marvel, Marvel's coming at this from a comic book fan perspective. They're comic book fans. They know how this shit works. You, the, 
the pull of the shared universe is from a storytelling perspective. All the studios come at it from a, the story is that there's a shared universe and there's a pop culture around the shared universe. So isn't that cool? Come look at Batman and Superman stand next to each other. But that's not a story. That's just the universe where those characters exist. That's together. a screensaver. Yeah, it's like that doesn't mean anything. Marvel goes, the stories are are wrapped in the shared universe. And that's what people come back for. And that's what people watch for is there's it's like a TV show. People don't watch TV shows because a TV show happens to be on TV. And it makes me wonder, like, how much of that was just done out of necessity, because most of Marvel's characters don't have the immediate cultural cachet that Batman and Superman have. So they 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 were pretty much forced to play a long game with the characters they had the rights to and make you care about them. Yeah, like they couldn't have done Guardians first. They had to wait until a certain point in all of this to make Guardians work. I wonder if that could really play to their advantage if they get to the rights back to something like Fantastic Four. Even if the movie was mediocre, if they got those characters back and they put them out now and made them, you know, as kind of out there and as weird as a 1960s version, I think people would definitely react to them. Whereas, oh, yeah. it, you know, if you go back to something like the original Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, despite not being great movies, I don't think audiences really would have even reacted to great Fantastic Four movies at the, that point, necessarily. Or at least true to their origin, Fantastic Four movies. I don't know. I feel like people really want to like the Fantastic Four. You just kind of have to show them how. Yeah. Because it's the same thing with, you know, the Avengers. Like, Nobody really gave a shit about Iron Man or Captain America as characters before Marvel made you care of them. But that that need for those characters was there. But Marvel has a brilliant way of saying, hey, you know that superhero shaped hole in your heart? We have the perfect superhero from that. But you don't know who Doctor Strange is? Oh. Haven't you always wanted to see a superhero who uses the mystic arts? We have a movie for you. Just imagine Doctor Strange being made in roughly 2006 by Sony. <laughs> I, we've, I've seen that. It's called Doctor Mordred. <laughs> well, I think it's been pointed out, too, that Marvel, where the participation in the series universe was very, it was optional. Like, through the event, like, you can watch the Avengers without pretty much having watched any of the other Marvel movies. And not saying it wouldn't be a little bit confusing, but it's still treated like the first issue of a comic book, essentially. Like, it almost leans a little bit too heavily on that kind of exposition if you have watched the Marvel movies that came beforehand. Um, kind of re-explaining things. But for the most part, it works. And that's kind of, like, that's pretty actually genius. Is That does seem like a a chapter in an ongoing universe and you don't actually have to have read the books that came beforehand. Essentially, you can just pick up this one story and you can go back and look at the other ones and pretty much treat them as prequels. It's kind of brilliant, but it wasn't really until civil war where you had to have actually been a participant in the shared Marvel universe to truly understand that movie. And even then you don't fully have to, it's like that was sort of the beginning where it's kind of 50-50. Like, you really need to have watched the other movies, but it's kind of okay if you didn't. Like, you can still make it through, but it does help quite a bit. It's like, it would help if you knew who Ant-Man was before this, but other than that, if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of superheroes in this universe. 
He's just another superhero dude, essentially. Roll with it. Exactly. It's not really until... It's almost like it was set up for Infinity War where you really needed to have seen everything that came beforehand. And at this point, they've earned it. They've had a decade. Yeah, exactly. It's almost ridiculous if you're watching Infinity War and you haven't seen the other movies. I think my favorite recent example of that was in Doctor Strange, where you just have that one line at the end of Wong casually mentioning that the Eye of Agamotto is an Infinity Stone. If you've never seen any of these movies and don't know what that means, that also works perfectly well. It's just Wong telling Stephen that he still has a lot to learn. Yeah, because Infinity Stone sounds really impressive and ancient and like it might mean something later or might not <laughs> like ev- all of the like that's another thing that can never be forgotten. Most of the ties to other movies have to work both ways like that has they have to stand independently as things happening in the movie that aren't necessarily connected to something else. Otherwise, you do get those moments where somebody who hasn't seen every single film in this series watches something and it's like, okay, this is all requiring both knowledge and emotional investment I did not bring to the table when I sat down to watch this. And that's when you're asking too much of the audience. I think a great example of that is um, Ant-Man raiding the Avengers compound in Ant-Man, where, you know, I mean, it obviously helps a lot if you have seen... Winter Soldier and know who Falcon is and like seen Ultron know what the compound is. But in the regards to the actual story of the film, Hank Pym was a superhero once. Superheroes exist in this world. There's a superhero team out there. Hank Pym does not like superheroes anymore because of shit that happened to him in his personal life. Scott Lang is not a superhero, but they need to steal some shit from the superheroes. And he gets in a fight with one of the superheroes. Yeah, it, it works so well as a joke. Yeah, it, if Ant-Man was a standalone movie that was not supported by a shared universe outside of just an Ant-Man movie, that works based on the world that they built within the story. And, I mean, not to continually shit on the DC movies, but compare that to the end of Justice League, where a dude... I've already forgotten everything that happened in that movie. <laughs> you will have to be very descriptive, please. Well, where you have the after credit scene of Lex Luthor meeting with Deathstroke to plan the Legion of Doom. Oh, shit. Yeah, I did forget about that legitimately. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know anything about these characters, all you know is the bald guy from the end of Dawn of Justice is talking to a scary looking action figure man who's probably a bad guy because he looks scary and like an action figure. And he references a Tom Hanks movie. But none of that works unless you know the exact context for all that. And again, like that's, that's the point where you're just asking the audience to fill in the gaps of your own spotty writing. To be that's fair, Marvel when... does have some deep cuts too, but I mean, they're a little more limited. And like you said, they'll Marvel at this point has fostered enough care with their fans where they'll just frantically go out and research what the hell just happened well we'll compare that to uh the adam warlock scene at the end of guardians 2 mm-hmm. i mean like, that is set up just, in the movie like that you know ultimate being thing and how much focus she has on uh racial perfection so yeah that does have some some uh seeds throughout the film i'm thinking of weird little 
kind of cameo stuff almost. But again, they're Easter eggs, so it's not as important. Like uh, yeah. Stan Lee meeting the Watchers and just being out there in the cosmos, just hanging around for that cameo. Most audiences will have no idea the deeper connections to that and just think, that was weird. Like, it doesn't detract from the film that much because it, well, it's just a very obvious Easter egg. Well, that's the thing. Like, even with stuff like that, that's played as a joke. So the audience can just take that as a joke. It, like, when it messes up is whenever you need, you're asking the audience to fill in the emotional blanks yeah. and care about these characters because of baggage you're expecting them to bring to the movie and be invested in the plot because of baggage they're bringing to the movie. Like, you know, ending you know, Guardians 2 with, you know, his name will be Adam is a moment that's filled with a lot of, you know, obvious emotions from the comic reading audience. When the non-comics audience hears that, they already know that that's a really big, important thing because of the name Adam. Like, oh, God, there's going to be some biblical slash Frankenstein shit going on. Yeah, it works both ways. But uh, you get other films like, again, like with the Omega symbol in Dawn of Justice being treated like the most important, most foreshadow worthy thing in the world. Nobody knows what that means. Nobody knows what that scene was supposed to mean. <laughs> no one knows what parademons are. No one knows what the Omega symbol means. Well, it's like you point out we were watching Justice League and I, I and it seems stupid to be like, you know, jerking Marvel off and shitting on DC, but you know, it's an obvious comparison. But and it's a good contrast, honestly, which is when Steppenwolf says for the glory of Darkseid, unless you're a comic fan, he's just saying for the glory of bad dudes, essentially. Like <laughs> no one knows that's someone's name. <laughs> the glory of dark space side, period. <laughs> like his, his syntax is just really poor. His grammar just isn't up to snuff. It would have been very helpful if they had at least shown Darkseid. Just ex crib the, the first introduction of Thanos entirely. Like have someone say <laughs> something like, oh man, Batman beats up really tough guys, but he's human. I don't care if it sounds that dumb. Do that exact line. Then have Thanos, I'm sorry, Darkseid turn to the screen and do like a grimace instead of a smile on Apocalypse. <laughs> Exactly like 100% same staging as what they did for Thanos. I guarantee you it makes the movie at least a smidge more interesting. People be like, oh, fuck, that's Darkseid. Okay, he looks tough. I'm interested now. Why didn't they have him instead of this other horseshit? And there were storyboards of after Steppenwolf gets taken away at the end. Spoilers for Justice League, that movie you probably haven't seen. And don't worry, it's fine. Spoilers, um, spoilers, Justice dies at the end. Yeah, it does. All right. Um where they did, there was, there are storyboards for after Steppenwolf gets taken to Apocalypse and uh, essentially killed by Darkseid. It wasn't filmed because there was no longer a part two, but all because there's a part two, you're not going to do that. That's kind of important. It still would have worked with the story. Yeah, it's like, if you're still going to have Darkseid's underling be the villain, the whole point is then reveal that Steppenwolf, who granted, I guess in their heads, was supposed to be like all powerful, it would have helped if he was. Is like, oh shit, he's just an underling. The real bad guy is Darkseid. Would that have still been just a ripoff of Thanos in a way? A little bit, but less. It would have actually mostly still worked because you haven't seen Steppenwolf before. I mean, you don't even have to do a full-on reveal of Darkseid. He shows up, he falls to his knees, He, he Steppenwolf begs for his life. Omega beams. You just exactly. catch like, the outline of Darkseid as 
Omega Beams destroy Steppenwolf. So you know, like, oh shit, that guy's pretty damn powerful. That's again, all you need. That's all. Just that little bit of glimpse. And again, that's another example of breaking the contract with the audience. Like, oh, all these movies are building up to Dark Side and Apocalypse and the New Gods and all of that. Actually, just kidding. Well, I mean, we might be getting New Gods. Who knows? We're, we're getting New Gods in a separate, unrelated film universe. Unless, and I assume. At this point, Warner Brothers is working on if the movies end up being successful, good, and make money, then we'll we'll, we'll just say they're a part of the shared universe. If they don't, we're going to say, no, that's an Elseworlds tale. You heard it here first, folks. Ron Perlman as Darkseid. Or Ryan. Just, just give me Ron Perlman. <laughs> no, he no has to be he has to be High Father so that his arch enemy in Darkseid can be Michael Ironside. I like it. And David Harbour as Orion. <laughs> so, so that's his job now? He just goes around eating Ron Perlman's crabs? Exactly. <laughs> Can they twist that around? Can like Ron Perlman show up on Stranger Things Season 3 as like, Hopper's dad? <laughs> I could easily see that. So I would love I, it. Lieutenant Hop. <laughs> Captain Hop. <laughs> Colonel Hop. Colonel Hop. He's a five-fucking-star general who just comes yes. in the <laughs> I don't need to grip on my Pearl. style, Dad. And then he crushes a beer can on his head. <laughs> I would love to see the end of the season, just those two sitting down, eating Eggo waffles, smoking cigars, and they both have like a fucking gallon of beer and a tanker just next to them. They're chugging. <laughs> Dear Netflix, we'll write on spec. Like, don't worry. Just contact us at boxofficepulp at gmail.com. One thing I wanted to bring up is like... Uh, the X-Men universe and how that seems tailor-made for a shared universe and somehow Fox has just always gone, nah, we'll just make X-Men movies. We don't need to like make a, a unique Nightcrawler movie, Cyclops movie. We'll kind of do that with Wolverine, but kind of. And then Logan will just be its own fucking thing. It's like, like Fox I somehow is the one studio who is not interested in making a fucking real shared universe, even though they have the perfect tools for it. Yeah, the X-Men are such a unique animal because they technically take place in a shared universe, but in the vaguest possible way. There's not even continuity between X-Men films, so I guess I can't expect them to extend that out into spin-off movies. But I, I do find that kind of interesting. Like, there is something unique about that, and for certain properties, I think would be best like, that's the way to emulate it. Like, I think that would be probably the best way to do DC movies. Just don't worry about connecting it all together. Just have them generally take place in the same universe and every couple of years everyone gets together for a Justice League movie. Trying to do interconnectedness with those characters is kind of doomed to fail, I believe. And I think with X-Men, Fox could probably pull together something decent as far as interconnectedness goes with this movie if they really tried and were really smart about it. But honestly, I'm really digging what a... Uh, Oddspodge. Weird. Oh, yeah. What a box of mixed nuts that the Fox universe is. Like, I kind of like how they're free to just do whatever the hell they want. Like, here's a new Mutants horror movie. Here's Deadpool. Here's a Death of Wolverine movie set in the future that doesn't tie into anything. And it's funny. You can, and it's like, yeah, you can say this is a shared universe if you want, or if you don't want to, it's fine. It doesn't really matter. 
They will occasionally like, reference each other, maybe, if we feel like it. <laughs> like, Deadpool takes place in the X-Men universe, technically, but you can also say because it's Deadpool, that's just a joke. And even stuff like Colossus, who we've seen in other films, is nothing like what he is in Deadpool. <laughs> and there's new mutants that we haven't really been introduced to before just hanging out. Like, there's... It, the, the fiber between these movies is so weak, it might as well not even be there, but that's fine. I mean, for Deadpool, it definitely works because that's a totally different tone of film. Well, for, and again, for Deadpool, you can just say, like, if you didn't want to connect it to the other films, like, oh, he's just hanging out with the comic book versions of these characters because it's Deadpool. Fox like, kind Deadpool of has a, a um, can I have your cake and eat it too universe going on with the X-Men films. That does make me wonder if, like, maybe that's why they don't push harder for a shared universe is they're just happy with the way things are now. Like, they're, they're afraid to break good. it. Yeah, it's like, you see them, like, they dip they dip their toes in it more. You know, they they try the spinoff thing. Like, they, they were going to do the Origins series, but that didn't work out because of Wolverine Origins. But they still kept the Wolverine movies going. That's a little bit different. That's just a spinoff. Then they started, like, eh, thinking around this and toying around with this idea. And then when the Marvel films got going, they went, okay, shared universe. But they still, it's funny. Fox is the only company to be the last production company you'd expect to be cautious and take it nice and slow and try not to make any sudden moves and just test the waters slowly and not throw ideas out there all of a sudden. <laughs> now, do not make a Spider-Man, a Spider-Man villain shared universe without Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, help us all. That's, that's actually a fascinating example of probably one of the worst attempts to kickstart a shared universe with one Just, character <laughs> with one character well oh, they had they had people lined up to write and to direct and make a sinister 6 movie and uh, you know just the best laid plans of mice and men nothing good came out of amazing spider-man 2 and it's, it's just fascinating because they were hardcore on that one, and somehow they thought all the little things they were doing made perfect sense. Like, they were planning that one very meticulously, and everyone outside of that room knew these are bad choices you're making. God, nothing sums up looking in, like studio impatience with this shared universe better, and Justice League exists, and I'm saying this, than a Sinister Six movie when you've only had two Spider-Man movies. You haven't even introduced all those villains. <laughs> You have introduced a grand total of none of the Sinister Six. <laughs> you just showed some tentacles in a vault at the end of a movie. That was it. And that movie, was, and then the Sinister Six movie was going to take place in the Savage Land. So it makes even less sense. Hold on, boys. We're going into the deep end of the pool. Everybody <laughs> jump. But you never taught us how to swim, Father. That's okay. I didn't buy floaties either. Get in there. And then Amy Pascal pull, pulls out a shotgun and is like, get in. <laughs> Two days later, everyone has left the pool. They have been taken by their parents back to their homes, except poor Tom Hardy, who is sitting on the diving board looking sad. Amy walks up. We have a job for you. Smash cut to the credits of Venom, the movie. I can't believe we're getting a Venom movie is what I'm trying to say. How the fuck did that happen? I think we're like, all kind of surprised. Spider-Man is back up on his feet, and somehow they got Tom Hardy to agree to be in a fucking Venom movie, of all things, that apparently is maybe not connected in any way to it Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And that's the thing, like, Sony got so lucky that Marvel was like, okay, 
You can keep all the merchandising and all that. You can make all the money from all the things that will come from our Spider-Man movies. We'll just do it for you. And Sony's first reaction was, okay, we're going to take away as many things that you could use to make those movies as possible and make terrible things that ruined it forever. To so, me, Silver Sable. <laughs> why is, why? Like, they, they're in on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they're still impatient to make their own shared universe. It's fucking ridiculous. Well, with Sony, it's just an ego thing. Oh, like, they yeah. just want their own thing to make Daddy proud. Well, it's an eco thing on all of them. I mean, with with Universal, they just they just want it. It's like everyone's looking at what Marvel has and goes, "Fuck, we 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 want in on that. We want in on where movies are heading." It's funny because everyone says that's where movies are heading, but in reality, it's like everyone's chasing that fad, and only one guy's eating his lunch. Everybody else is running around the counter, not placing an order. Pretty much. Well, it's, look at look at the comic books themselves. I mean, people act like the whole giant interconnected tapestry shared universe thought experiment is comic books. No, that's kind of just Marvel comics and to eventually to a slightly lesser extent, DC comics. There's still only two people doing that. Hey, hey, like on a Hellboy, ma- on- Hellboy once met Batman. <laughs> hey, images in one is one universe. Valiant. <laughs> I'm talking all of the comics on the funny pages are actually set in the same universe. They're just all in prisons. That's dark. (laughs) I mean, Marvel and DC are the only ones who have done that on a massive scale. So I kind of think it says something that uh, people are trying to beat Marvel at their own game at something that for the most part is mainly just applicable to Marvel. Well, I don't think it's just applicable to Marvel. I think, the problem is they all think it's new. To Marvel, it was just it it wasn't even a thing. It's it was just we have all these characters together and in the comics they're all together and that just makes sense. Like there's no overthinking when it comes to it. Like the shared universe predated Marvel. Like there's works of it of fiction in most and I had a few art forms that have, you know, crossovers or take place in the same area. Fucking, even as small as the Tarantino films all take place in one fucking universe. It's, you know, and there's some that are, you know, jokes and shit. Like the the horror universe that's kind of in Friday the 13th Part 9, because, like, the Creek from Creep shows in there, and the Necronomicon was technically used to resurrect Jason by Jason's mother, but um, that's a can of worms. Like, all those things existed, but movie studios, because they don't really care or pay attention to art forms, essentially, think that the Marvel films are the first thing that ever fucking did that in any medium. But the big thing is, the people making the Marvel films don't see the shared universe as a big big deal at all, or something that they're, they invented. That's just how those particular stories work. Like, how the fuck are the Visionaries and Transformers and G.I. Joe and Rom the Space Knight going to work in a cinematic universe? Like, it's weird enough when they cross over in, like, comic books or cartoons and shit. They already kind of barely go together to begin with, but ha- but Paramount's, like, the shared universe. Yeah, it's the thing that's, that keeps confusing me so much. It's like, 
superheroes go together. You can't really mix entirely different genres, and you especially can't really make a universe out of just villains, because how does that work from a storytelling standpoint? I see that with both the with the aborted like Sony villain verse and the dark universe. It's like, why would any of these characters hang out? Like, why would their stories overlap? Like superheroes at least fight crime, so there's overlap there. Well, you heard Kurtzman when he came to the dark universe when he kind of laid down his plan. He talked about that. It's like none of these characters are gonna, in my eyes, are gonna team up in an event like the Avengers and battle a villain or something. Like, a couple are maybe more heroic or chaotic good than others. Most of them are, you know, villainous monsters. Like, yeah, the Wolfman is, he's tragic. He's not really a bad person. Frankenstein is, you know, Frankenstein, but, like, Dracula's evil, the mummy's evil, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're not going to team up and be fucking superheroes. Like, maybe at one point, you know, the idea is to kind of get a couple of them together. And I think in Kurtzman's mind was essentially, like, a couple of the characters would be involved in, like, a big Dracula story, with Dracula as, like, the big, you know, Thanos-like villain, which is, I, I think what he was going yeah. for is pretty genius. I mean, if you're doing a shared universe, that's a, that's a perfectly fine way to go for it. Make one of your monsters the true monster, and then the other one's, like, mini-bosses or possibly teammates to aid you on your way to fighting that dude. Yeah. Universal definitely want to make a superhero movie out of the monsters, so if you're going that route, commit to that route. Make Dracula fucking the Green Goblin. And it just becomes the studio's, you know, square peg round hole. What are the Sinister Six fighting? Nothing. They're not, they're <laughs> villains, but they can't really be villains either because they're the main characters of the movie. So what are they? They're nothing. <laughs> like, the su- like the Suicide Squad with no buildup or just characters. Like, how we, what are we supposed to feel for their redemption stories when we've never seen them be villains? And again, it's that, it's that false, uh, that false expectation of, oh, the audience will, like, have read the comics or looked it up. They'll care about these characters before they see the movie, so we don't have to do that job. Isn't it amazing how movies work these days? It's like, so many people with no real understanding about how storytelling works see this as some kind of cheat code yeah but uh, like we talked a lot about the uh problems with shared universes and how uh marvel has taught a lot of lessons that other studios haven't really picked up on i think it'd be cool to kind of just talk about you know for a little while what we love about shared universes and what's the strength of that as a storytelling tool i have to say uh, and this is more limited to cartoon series. I'm always super jazzed when like fucking Johnny Quest shows up in Jabberjaw or Scooby-Doo. So <laughs> there is an elemental level of joy. It's just, oh my God, it's three of my favorite things together right now. I don't even need to justify it. Just give me. I'm excited. There, it's there's very so much joyous. Pure joy when it works and you're not distracted by how shitty the end product is. It's that same kind of magic as like in old TV shows where an actor would come on set and be like, you know, I was filming Green Acres down the hall. What? <laughs> like it's those moments of. Uh, that actually enrages me when people do that. 
It's like when magicians, yeah, magicians, musicians are like, I certainly do love Minnesota. And you're in Minnesota. It's like, shut up. No, you don't. Just play your top 50. God damn it, Javier. <laughs> I hate it when my top magicians come out and start talking good things about my state. It's the worst. You're not going like, to reveal fucking... the goddamn secrets, are you? Get that rabbit out of that hat right now. That's all I'm here for. Where's your mask? I'm not here for your stage talk. But I think there is a uh, there's a very fundamental childlike joy in just seeing. Uh, I your... see what you did there. Fundamental. Ah, it's a knee slapper. Shut the fuck up, Cody. Okay. But I think there's a fundamental oh. joy in fine in just having uh, the fourth wall rippled just enough to allow for stuff like that. Like, oh, I guess there's something about storytelling there's like this unspoken rule that all of us pick up on uh when our brains start to learn how to process stories that everything is separate but the human mind doesn't really like that we are designed to find connections everywhere we want to look for a habitat and spot an ecosystem and see how cause and effect works and stories kind of break that so i think there really is like an instinctual switch that gets flipped every time we see two stories that we've grown fond of overlap in some way it's like oh this feels right and in a certain way this feels real now for me i think it's when you're you're taking in a film or a piece of art that story goes as far as the edge of the page or the edge of the screen, and that's kind of like it. That's fine. That's great. But when you're dealing with a, a shared universe, that wor- that story, that world extends far out. Not only do you get to, when you watch, you know, one of the other, another movie in that shared universe that's, you know, unconnected to this one necessarily, different characters, you can go like, oh, I'm watching this corner of this world, and then over here I get to watch this corner of this world. But you you get to feel like you're watching, like literally, a, a literally a universe where there is a full fledged world, and it feels like true fiction almost, where it's not just this one thing that lives and dies between you press play and then it stops. It's a living, breathing storytelling organism that's just out there and things are happening where then there is actually a time skip between movies you can go what happened like what what truly actually like happened between this time skip because it feels like things things that happen actually matter or if there was a time skip between sequels or something it's like yeah cool Okay, so just tell me the exposition I need to understand okay where in the shared universe if there's a time skip an entire world of things happen that you could do in a whole other series of movies. Then and it's like even a star, you know, even in the Star Wars films, when there's you know the time skip between six and seven, there's a lot of mystery. But it's like yeah, you can just kind of move on. You know, it doesn't really feel like an entire thing happened. It just I saw the important part, which is when Episode six ended, and then I saw the next important part, which is when Episode seven started, and that's fine. Like, those things lived and breathed between play and stop, where a true shared universe kind of keeps going beyond that. I don't know if Disney agrees with you, because I'm sure right now they're like, how many movies can we fit in that gap? 
Well, now they're working it, on the shared universe. Now they're st- they're still do- it's still mostly spinoff fo- films though. So we'll see what the yeah, other trilogies give. Star Wars is a fascinating case to me because they essentially have all the goodwill built up with the number of movies they've already made. So they could easily do a shared universe. I mean, you could just spin stuff off on the side and they're going to have to move towards that eventually because they can't just keep doing trilogy entry after trilogy entry. Yeah. My guess is, you know, they, they finish episode nine, they do like a, you know, five, 10 year gap, and then they go back to doing another main trilogy with those characters coming back who survived through the last movie. But in the meantime, we have stuff like uh, Ryan Johnson's new spinoff trilogy, I guess it's a trilogy. It's a trilogy. The Game of Thrones guys have a trilogy. Yeah, there's the spinoff individual movies. Like, I'm assuming a lot of that will probably end up connecting. Disney seems very focused on the canon all working for, like, their TV shows and their books. So a lot of that stuff could all eventually weave their way into uh, theaters. I mean, I wouldn't be half surprised if some of the Star Wars Rebels or Clone Wars characters eventually get their own movie spinoffs and, you know, kind of pull a coup on Marvel where even their TV shows are now integrated into the movie universe. That could be the next step where not only is it the films you have to pay attention to, but you could have a constant hype man on TV telling you like, hey, these adventures are cool. Can't wait to see you on the big screen. I think they really are heading there. It's both a terrifying and exciting idea. Like this self-perpetuating story machine that Disney's sitting on top of. And you have to kind of appreciate like they did immediately go for spinoffs, but spinoffs and shared universe are two different things like it, it's sort of a nebulous definition i think but, yeah you they know, are in the same universe but you won't necessarily see like the same three guys hanging out and their stories don't necessarily impact each other they're in the yeah. same sandbox but they have built a big sandy wall between the two sides of the sandbox and they're both playing with their castles on separate sides and they don't talk to each other because they're not friends yeah i feel like more of a shared universe would be like Okay, we're teaming up Star Wars with Star Trek. And now that all those movies are going to play off of each other and bounce plots back and forth. So many virgins won't know what to do with themselves. Um, (laughs) They broke the cannon again! (laughs) But I do think we do see... They're currently going on buying tiki torches, and there's just angry (laughs) Star Wars fans everywhere. Yeah. I'm not happy about the fact it's no longer fun to be a Star Wars fan. (laughs) It is for us, because we're good fans. Like, shit, I don't even want to call myself a Star Wars fan, and I I love Star Wars more than many things in this world. More more than most things. No, Cody, you're missing the point. We're the only Star Wars fans. That's what you have to call yourself. (laughs) We're the last Jedi fans. (laughs) Cut to, to like, wavy lines, and there's a bombed-out future, and it's just three of us sitting in a bombed-out bank vault. Finally, so much time to appreciate Star Wars, and simultaneously, all three of our pairs of glasses fall to the ground and shatter. But there was so much time for Star Wars. Thank God, there's an audio version now. Our We're ears going all to watch fall droids. Off. <laughs> it's that it's a Christmas special. That's the only thing that survives the nuclear holocaust. All the Star Wars fans are dead, and there's just copies of Reign of Fire and the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> but Life Day isn't canon anymore. No! Life Day is only canon now. That's all there's left. But I, I think you touched on something uh, very interesting there, Mike. It's the idea of that sense that a story is going whenever you're not looking at it. That's something that movies have always had a very difficult time uh, getting across just because of 
the way movies have always been made. But there's something like there's something so cool. And I think in a certain way, something so important about this experiment in a, a new kind of fiction. Like, like, well, like looking specifically at the Marvel universe, like the Marvel comics universe and, and DC, like you see these essentially alternate universes that are fully realized down to the slightest detail. And because there's so many people going in and out from the art to the rioting and editorial, so many different ideas coming and going that it doesn't really belong to anyone. And because of that, it's kind of alive. I mean, it's like I said earlier, it's a self-perpetuating story machine. Yep. And we're slowly starting to see that realized with the Marvel movies. And, you know, if they're still doing these 20 years down the line, can you imagine how complex that movie universe is going to be? Because I was like, at that point, it's like a second reality. <laughs> like it's a fictional so parallel complex, world. It's basically Dune. Like you have to have studied the ancient texts for weeks before you can make any concrete statement about the chronology of the films. Also, yeah. going back to what you were saying, like when you're not paying attention to the movies, like how they either do or do not live. I think movies are interesting because when you're not paying attention to something like Die Hard, it turns out they're actually living in reverse. And now they're creating space for John McClane to have prequel adventures that we never thought could make any sense. <laughs> that will never happen. They, they're working on a Die Hard prequel. It'll never They've been working on that for a long time. It became a terrible comic for a while. You can type loudly as long as you want. I'm sw I saw news for it not too long ago. I'm telling you guys, it's, it's something we have to brace ourselves for. It's going to happen sooner or later. And Dan Aykroyd is currently writing Ghostbusters 3. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't need to write anymore. He just has it ready to go for when someone asks him. He carries a copy with him on a flash drive. Over his heart, just in case of an assassination attempt. No, his, his, he knows that script's more valuable than his life. It has to survive him. We have to know exactly how Ghostbusters went to hell. <laughs> I mean, didn't we essentially just get that in Ghostbusters, the video game? Pretty much. Also, I, that just reminded me of my favorite stupid idea for a shared universe. That week and a half or so when we were going to get <laughs> several rival Ghostbusters movies that were all going to just be the Ghostbusters. And then there'd be a team-up movie where all the different chapters, I guess, of Ghostbusters would come together and be a big Ghostbuster team. I mean, I know that never happened, but I did recently buy the Lego Ghostbusters headquarters, and now I oh, have again with the fucking Legos. Both sets of Ghostbusting teams inside the firehouse at the same time, like they're sharing it in their buddies. So in my world, they did cross over. There's also Beetlejuice, uh, the Ghostface from Scream. Uh, who else do I have in there? Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, uh, Freddy Krueger. They're yeah, all in the same adventures. firehouse. It's everywhere. That is a crossover I would actually love to see. Beetlejuice meets the Ghostbusters. Oh my god, if that had been filmed in the 1980s as a true Ghostbusters 3, holy shit. You know, going back to, since we're on the Ghostbusters shared universe that almost happened, uh, more Sony stupid shared universe ideas, let's not forget 21 Jump Street and Men in Black. That was this close. 
that thing I'm still convinced happened because somebody put that out there as a joke, and the robots listening were like, ooh, my senses detect money. I mean, I, yeah, I would put money on that. I'm very and, sad we're not getting it. I mean, this is a company that announced in a press release that they were going to do the first ever Clue movie, <laughs> and then found out that there already was a Clue movie, and then canceled it. <laughs> oh, that totally reminds me. Uh, the Haunted Mansion that Del Toro was once upon a time attached to. Oh, yes. That was also supposed to be kind of a shared universe thing, where the Haunted Mansion would serve as a hub to different like cultures or spots in the world that would have their own Haunted Mansions. So you could have like eight different Haunted Mansion films that are all kind of tied together because there's like one central haunting spot that, like I don't know, powered them or at least thematically grouped them or... There is some central bad guy. Called, I don't know. All the details are very vague, but that seemed like the intention that I read about, which would have been, been fascinating. Yeah, it, it creates an interesting mythology. It also allows for, if you were to do a series of films, different style horror films, essentially. <laughs> I'm just amazed that someone had the brains to be like, what if Haunted Mansion was a shared universe? Because there's not even like a, a human character in the Haunted Mansion <laughs> universe. They have hat ghosts and like... <laughs> You know, that, that's enough for them to be like, no, 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 I got this. My imagination's on fire here. I just we'll like talk. the idea of a of a entire shared universe based around the concept of haunted mansions. Well, it's it's like I think that all that kind of shows the different things you can do with a shared universe. Like it's not just superheroes standing around. You can use a concept of a thing to be a, a shared universe, like a anthology film almost. But, you know, like what the Halloween oh. movies were originally supposed to be, but actually doing it where they all take place in one universe. Boy, uh, I think the best example of that would be the uh, VHS series. Yes. Like they're tied together with their wraparound segments. There's three of them, so they're actually all held together. And then all the VHS tapes we watch theoretically are all happening on the same planet, even though they're vastly different in every way. And the and world some have an apocalypse. <laughs> And somehow, yeah, they're all tied together. Boy, I didn't even think about that before. But yeah, the VHS series is probably like the finest example of a shared universe where you can get excited when you see pieces from one and the other. I don't think they ever went that far in depth where you actually got like little Easter eggs or cameos. But if they had kept going, boy, that would have been fun. You could have played way more with it than they did. You know, they didn't kind of just use the shared universe thing, you know, as just fun wraparounds. But mm -hmm. it would have actually been cool if... Um, the, the series didn't implode with uh, with viral, and yeah. they actually delved more into the main plot as like some kind of final film in the series. I think would have been cool. Alas, but, alas. Well, like, like speaking of Del Toro, remember one of the things I mentioned wanting to bring up uh, when we first planned this was one of my favorite examples of establishing a very very subtle connection between movies. And that's Crimson Peak and The Devil's Backbone, which both have the same ghost design. And I love how small of a nod to Devil's Backbone that is, because it takes a moment in Crimson Peak that is beautiful and emotionally resonant by itself and adds this slight little pinprick to it where in addition to what you're feeling watching the scene, it also puts you in the headspace that you were in when you saw the devil's backbone. And I love that that's not done to really 
say anything or build to anything or even to make you like pull out your conspiracy board and try to think of all the connections between these two movies. It's just there to remind you of a feeling. And I would really like to see more writers do stuff like that. To be totally honest, I had never made that connection or association in my mind before. I think uh, to me, that's just like Del Toro's house style for ghosts, kind of like, you know, just a personal trademark. It's so like, like right whenever it's right down to the blood dripping upwards in the same way, I, I kind of feel like that had to be intentional. Maybe. I mean, the best thing I can say about that is if it is, it's subtle enough where it doesn't feel like he's forcing it. Like, oh, you, yeah, you're that's free what I to love pick that it. idea up. Uh, you know, so for you, like, there's an actual connection there, and then you can associate the two thematically and kind of use those to reinforce each other. And then for me, I can just think of it like, nah, that's basically kind of what Tim Burton does with his designs. Like, we're going to have a lot of the same elements here, and thematically they might be shared, but not necessarily in any, like, continuity or plot or story way. I connect Blade 2 and the strain all the time. <laughs> is that how the strain ends i never i never finished the book series like blade just wipes them all out oh god i would actually start watching the strain again if that were the new season wesley snipes comes in murders f and just saves new york in a weekend <laughs> i mean it does sound like a great plot for a del toro version of blade 3 doesn't it like, there's a new vampire viral infection, a shady, evil master vampire that's pulling the whole thing off, and Blade has to save a quarantined, you know, city block or something. Wasn't that essentially the Blade 3 we were originally getting? I don't know. No, it was, uh, Goyer's Blade 3 originally was, um, I Am Legend, but with Blade. <laughs> but it was, uh, too expensive. I guess I can see that. I'm, I'm sure they weren't spending so super huge gobs of money on Blade. Darn it, just take that concept and reboot Blade like, just take the popular idea of John Boyega becoming Blade and just do it that way. Like, give him a fair amount of money, take over all of New York, make it escape from New York with the strained vampires, and that'd be dope. I have sworn for years that if Marvel really wanted to, they could totally say the Blade movies are in-universe with the MCU. Oh, yeah, you don't have to fudge that much. Yeah, oh, not yeah. really. I mean, the, I guess the Blade movies are supposed to take place in New York? That's a question. I'm not 100% sure. Even though they're all filmed in like Canada and Prague and stuff, so they don't look like they're in New York. So it wouldn't be hard to get away from that. If they wanted to get Wesley Snipes back, they definitely could. And then just continue on the series. Wesley Snipes is desperate to play Blade again. He's very emotional about it. If he and could he do Blade money. and not do the shit that he pulled on 3, I'd be all for it. Like, you don't hear any of the stories about Blade 1 or 2. It's really just 3. I think he went off the rails. I do believe Snipes was high the entire production, so I don't explain exactly. a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And mostly not in the film. A lot of that's just a double. Yeah, just a double. Because <laughs> he and refused to come out of that's technically how we got Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird side story. We just come. you're welcome, folks. We just gave you film history. <laughs> you're learning. Hooray. Everyone at home already knows all this shit. They're like, come on, man, get your facts together. This is bullshit. We already know all this. But there are like lots of examples of like little small shared universes. Like the one that hardly ever gets talked about, the fact that Alien, Blade Runner, and Soldier technically take place in the same <laughs> And I love Soldier being in there. And and now I think about it, Predator and Predator 2. Yep. So there's like 
watch Predator 2 again, like look at the slightly futuristic stuff in there and think that's all going to lead to Jared Leto cutting open a replicant woman. (laughs) (laughs) And one I've never really seen anybody acknowledge, but it's something you have to bring up. The Tyler Perry movies technically take place in the same universe. To be fair, I think a lot of people have not seen those movies. Like, they've got a very dedicated fan base that keeps those running, and then people that are outside of it don't really jump in. But it, it is weird to think, like, no, there's interconnection there. Like, Meet the Browns ends with Medea on the run, and then the next movie is Medea in jail. And then the Medea Halloween movies are their version of Avengers, where all of the characters get together and are chased by a monster. (laughs) I feel like we're going to just have a podcast series now where it's Jamie explains the Medea movies. It's like, I I know absolutely nothing about them other than like who Tyler Perry is in a very broad sense. It's messed up. It's even weirder when you get to Tyler Perry's plays where all of those characters have their own spinoff plays where they have their own supporting cast. (laughs) There's a Tyler Perry universe out there of old people who like to tell young people a thing or two about relationships and God. It's one of the most inexplicable things in pop culture. And I assume it's all connected to I, Alex Cross. Prove me wrong, I say. (laughs) To that and Star Trek. Quick, another movie he's been in. Uh, 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 Change the subject. Yeah, it's my head head cannon now that his character in Gone Girl is the the normal dude Tyler Perry is in all of his movies. <laughs> like that dude is Medea's nephew. <laughs> now, I remember correctly. I think that character's a lawyer too. So wow, that actually does fit. a lawyer and police detective in his spare time. How are we explaining his appearance in Star Trek? This is the future. Non-travel. He just, or is he immortal or time travel? Ooh, I like I was thinking a descendant, but I like the idea of Tyler Perry being unkillable. <laughs> He's like the Highlander, but a very star- strong neck. Uh, well, he will eventually release a movie where he finds the tablet of time, and it will all be explained. <laughs> Unfortunately, in that movie, he's robbing a bank, and it just goes south. You can't reference conversations we had six hours ago. Oh, no, I think that's perfectly fine. Fair enough. If I do it enough, it becomes part of our shared universe. Oh, yeah, that then the listeners have to go find deleted audio files <laughs> to get the full <laughs> picture of our conversations. They have to comb through our deleted scenes and the special features. Only in our universe, all the gag reels are actually canon, too. Isn't Box Office Pulp just one long gag reel? Yes, that's yeah. why they're canon. Like, right. I feel like the credits to ca- Cannonball Run should be playing whenever we're doing this fucking show. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be down for that. All right. So before we leave, I want everybody to throw their throw in the hat their dream shared universe. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with ooh, which one do I want to stick with? There's so many possible choices. I could put Hans Labyrinth in Guardians of the Galaxy just to see how Groot reacts with a fawn tree man. That could be fun. Maybe they're cousins. Hmm. I think I would like to do a big crossover between Jaws and Scream. You're not safe on the land. You're not safe in the water. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Like, Nev Campbell answers the phone. Hello? 
<laughs> There's just that underwater scream of Hooper. <laughs> Oh, God, how, wait, wait, that how reminds me, we missed is... the shared universe of the Piranha remake films being in the same universe as Jaws, and that being the official end of Hooper. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, listen, we are not here to explain every single shared universe that already existed, because oh, there's true. a lot. We'll be talking about St. Elsewhere for a long time. <laughs> we can just talk about the Landisverse for a little while. Think about it. I will. Later. Trading places and coming to America, same universe. Uh oh. Also, how disturbing would it really be to call someone and just play a recording of a shark attack? Because <laughs> how do you process that? That's a terrifying prank. I'm sure someone on YouTube already does that. Just like they take the the lost footage from Grizzly Man and just play it to strangers on the phone. <laughs> what if you set that as your your voicemail? Like you don't have the hey, we message the beep, just beep and ah, and frying pans hitting bears as your ribs are ripped out. Show my Wi-Fi lover! Ah, there we go. That could be another great crossover universe. Grizzly Man, Starship Troopers. It's See Bugs that. and Bears. Oh, no, no, no. I know... Okay, this is my uh, suggestion for the best shared universe. The Herzog-verse. Okay, all of it. Just imagine Herzog uh, trying to find the Loch Ness Monster. And eventually it eats him. <laughs> Inside his stomach. Nosferatu. Ooh. And then it's just what we do in the shadows from then on out. (laughs) (laughs) When you first said Herzog Universe, I just imagined, like, Alfred Hitchcock presents. Like, Werner Herzog just walks out and does, like, a weird little intro to his series or film, and then it just cuts to something else. The anti-charisma of Herzog just doing that narration would be amazing. Me, 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 me. Welcome to my show of disappointment. <laughs> I hope you find some entertaining in the last tragic years of my life. <laughs> Our next story brings me great pain. Truly, this is hell. <laughs> Rolls the footage. Okay, you definitely have me beat. I would watch that shared universe. Mike, for all the marvels, pitch that shared universe. Flash Gordon, and the 1944 Hitchcock film Lifeboat. <laughs> okay, you're going you're gonna to have to connect the dots for me here. Paint, paint me a picture. Oh, no, they don't cross over at all. It's just the same universe. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Oh, I was really hoping that it would just be Lifeboat all the way through, but in just the last few minutes, they look up in the sky and see Flash on his fucking hoverbike. Yeah! Gordon's alive? <laughs> and that gives them the hope they need to make it <laughs> And then they shoot a German. Octung, baby. Subscribe to us on iTunes and on Stitcher at Box Office Pulp on those. Facebook.com slash Box Office Pulp Podcast. We're at Box Office Pulp on Twitter. And then there's some other shows. I'm not involved in those, so I don't have to promote them. If you guys want to promote them, go ahead. Otherwise, Cody, I hate to break it to you. Uh, you're not involved in this one either. No. Whip pan, hard credits. Boom. That's a wrap, folks. Get the hell out of here. That's been Box Office Pulp. And like that, he's gone. 
Oh shit, that's what we're recording? What? No. I thought this was Dork Nights. Yeah. Why'd you do fun? Because <laughs> I had been thinking about Tron. <laughs> Just now, now that I'm talking about like two movies you could jam together, Tron and War Games. It sells itself. Like, it's oh, it happened. was Clue trying to solve, trying to start that war the whole time. The whole time, yeah. You just <laughs> cut inside the computer every once in a while. Yeah, like that. That could totally work with just minor tweaking. You could probably edit those two films together super easy. That'd be a fascinating little experiment. Like uh, <laughs> Flynn is actually just the avatar of Matthew Broderick. I'm trying to see if that would even be fun to put together, and I don't think it would be. <laughs> I think I would actually just enjoy those two movies as separate projects. So. Wow, you really what? poked the holes into that whimsy, didn't you? Birth and death of an idea. Yep. See, that's why, you know, most ideas are, are born to die. Like, they, they have wobbly legs and they're eaten by hyenas. Most ideas are born to die. It's, it's, only, it's, it's rare you get, like, that good kernel you got to protect and that's not going to get eaten by the elements. That wasn't one of them. Tron Games just didn't have the legs. Tron Games. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. There are a lot of issues that plague the <laughs> Greetings and salutations, kiddos. It's me, your old goblin in crime, Roderick Kingsley, here with a special message for you, my adoring public. You may have noticed lately in my many, many appearances that I've had a bit of a spring in my pointy-booted step. No, boys and girls, the secret to my success is no wonder drug or miracle diet, but an elixir of the spirit. And, like a Halloween-themed Jehovah's Witness, I'm here to spread the good news like a bombardment of pumpkin bombs. The good news! Of graphic novelism. But, Uncle Hobgoblin, you ask, what is a graphic novelism? Don't interrupt me, you little shit! But yes, the tenets of graphic novelism are quite simple. A love for the comic book form in all of its forms. A rejection of the complacency that keeps it from reaching further heights. And, most importantly, a refusal to fall into the dark pool of negativity that has strangled the life out of this culture for too long. Since becoming a devout graphic novelist, I've rebuilt my goblin game from the ground up, soaring high above my fears and insecurities, as though they were the skyline of New York City. And all you have to do to walk this path is look deep within yourself, and send your credit card number care of Roddy the OG Hobby at gobmail.com. Or if you want to be a total Norman about it, just listen to the Graphic Novelism Podcast, where Alex Cook... James Lewis and Mike Nate Nate Napier preach their love for the medium and warn against those that may do it harm. Remember, ladies and gents, if you want to be the hobgoblin of whatever it is that you do, listen to graphic novelism. Subscribe to it on iTunes and The Stitcher. Leave a rating and a comment. Visit graphicnovelism.com. And for God's sake, kill Spider Man! <laughs> Another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs>